Amen. Well, the scripture reading this morning, we're going through a new series of sermons on the life of Joseph. Today, we're looking at Genesis 37, verses 1 to 11. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. Otherwise, it will be projected on the screen. Genesis 37, 1 to 11. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land, land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wife. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. He made a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. They could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream I have dreamed. Behold, we're binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose, stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gather around it, bow down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told, when he told it to his father and his brothers, his fathers rebuked him, said to him, what is this dream you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come down to bow ourselves to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Amen. It's a reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we pray that now as we hear your words and as we hear them now preached, your spirit would be upon me to speak words that are really appropriate, that are really powerful, that are really fitting. Pray that your spirit would apply these words as we seek to live faithfully to you. Change us in places that we need to be changed. Open us up to places that we need your spirit to work in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you just joined us, we are uh, starting a new series of sermons. Uh, I just mentioned in announcements that we're trying to read through the Bible together. And that's hard work. That takes a lot of work. And there's a lot of confusing parts of the Bible, especially the Old Testament. So what we're going to do periodically on Sunday mornings is I'm going to be preaching on uh, the places in the Bible that you're reading. So I'm trying to, as much as possible, sync up the Sunday preaching with the words that you're reading throughout the week. Uh, if you just uh, started the Bible reading plan, you're on Genesis, of course. And so what I'm going to do for the next few weeks is preach through the last story in Genesis. The last story of Genesis is about Joseph. And Joseph is a real interesting character in the Bible. Joseph, he's best known for being a dreamer. Key to Joseph's life is that he has these great dreams for himself. And he's also the, the interpreter of dreams. He interprets dreams that are really confusing for people. And that's really the key to Joseph's life. Joseph was a man defined by the idea of dreams. And throughout the series, I'm going to talk about dreams. Not, not so much physical, literal dreams, like when you go to sleep, you have crazy dreams. Uh, but I'm going to talk about dreams also in a very metaphorical way, in the sense that everyone has dreams or desires, ambitions about the future. And those dreams can be powerful tools that shape us, 
that direct us, that give us hope. The author Neil Gaiman, he said, people think dreams aren't real just because they aren't made of matters, of particles. Dreams are real, but they are made of viewpoints, of images, of memories and puns and lost hopes. Gaiman says that dreams are indeed very real. They're made up of all the stuff of our lives. They are uh, the fabric of our lives. Dreams are powerful. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. We're celebrating his birthday very shortly. Uh, one of the great things about his life was the I Have a Dream speech. That, that speech has been used to motivate, to give hope to countless millions of people. Visions and dreams are really powerful. They move us forward. They give us hope. So today we want to look at the early dreams of Joseph. This is Joseph's, his youthful dreams. And as we look at this idea of Joseph's early dreams, we want to look at three ideas. First, the idea, the joy of youthful dreams. Secondly, the dangers of them. And finally, the idea of dreaming God's dream. We're going to look first at Joseph's youthful dreams. Today we're starting the series on the man Joseph. The story of Joseph is part of a continuing story. If you're reading through the Bible, you know that Joseph's story begins with Abraham. Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to be the father of many nations. God's going to create a new nation, a new people of God. Abraham's going to be the father of it. The rest of Genesis from Genesis 12 on really tracks the story of this one family. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. And Jacob, he has 12 sons. Uh, but his favorite son is Joseph. And this is really the story of Joseph. Joseph was uh, one of 12 sons, but he was a favorite son, the favorite son of Jacob. In verse 3, it says that Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob because he was the son, in verse 3, of Jacob's old age. I have three kids, and I totally get the idea that your youngest is your favorite. You know, my kids, my other two kids accuse me of playing favorites all the time. They say, I love the youngest. They say, you just love her the most. And I can understand that temptation. And part of the temptation of loving your youngest is I know that I'll never have another baby, Lord willing. I won't ever have another baby. (laughs) So the idea is that I want to treasure her because she's my last baby. I'm not going to have another baby. You know, sometimes my three kids and me, we walk from the park. The park is like a quarter of a mile away. And sometimes we walk. And my other two kids, they're 10 and 8, they walk. But I just carry my youngest daughter. And she likes being carried. And I treat her, she's five, but I treat her like she's one. You know, I still carry her, literally carry her like she's a baby. I baby her. She acts like a baby because I do that. And she's the child of my, maybe my old age or my middle age. She's the child of my middle age. And uh, there's the favoritism of some parents. Jacob favors Joseph. It's the, it's his baby. It's his golden child. But the problem is that he doesn't just favor Joseph, uh, in his heart. Uh, he also treats him very differently. And of course, that enrages all the other brothers. Look with me in verse three. It says, Joseph, Israel, it's another name for Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, 
They hated him and could not speak peaceably to them. Jacob wasn't secretive about playing favorites. He let everyone know, Joseph, you are my favorite. Sometimes parents have favorites, but they pretend like they don't have favorites. Joseph was, uh, Jacob was very loud about the fact that Joseph was the golden child. In fact, he made him a robe, it says, in verse 3, of many colors. Uh, dye in the ancient world was very expensive. So to give your youngest son a robe that none of the other kids have, that was made of many colors, was an extravagant gift. And every time the other brothers saw Joseph with his technicolor robe, it reminded them again and again that we're basic, Joseph is special. Joseph is the golden child. And it got them really upset. It got them really upset. They were reminded. It was a constant reminder. The robe was a constant reminder every time they saw it that he's loved much more than us. And it got them upset. And it reaches this, this rivalry and this resentment, this anger toward their brother, reaches a boiling point when Joseph has a, a couple of dreams. Starting in verse 5, we see that Joseph has a dream. And the first dream is this. Joseph has a dream where they're out in the field and Joseph's bundle of, of, of grain rises up. And he says, the other bundles of grains that his brothers have come and bow down before his bundle of grain. And Joseph has this dream and he tells his brothers about it. He's like, can you believe this dream? All of your bundles of leaves, of grain, they were bowing down to mine. I wonder what that means, guys. He looked at them. And they looked at Joseph and they were like, I cannot believe this guy. Can you believe that he's having these dreams and he's telling us about it? Right after that, he has another dream, which is super similar to that first dream. And in that dream, it says this, the, the heavens... The stars and the suns and sky, they bow down to him. Uh, one dream takes place on earth. One dream takes place in the heavens. And even after that negative reaction to this first dream, Joseph repeats that dream and tells all of his, he tells his parents, he tells all of the brothers, and they're even more upset at Joseph. Joseph, as it says, he's, it tells us his age, he's 17. Joseph, at the very outset of the story, is 17. He's a young man. He has big dreams. Joseph has these great, epic dreams of greatness. You know, part of what I want to say in this point is that that's part of a young person's life. And that's part of the, the, the joy of a young person's life. You know, if you ask a young person, most young people, about what they want to be when they grow up, most of the time they have big dreams. Not small dreams, but big dreams. My daughter, uh, she's 10 years old. When you ask her what she wants to be when she grows up, she, she has a great dream. She says, I want to be a Supreme Court justice. You know, I want to be the first Asian American Supreme Court justice. And she's read biographies of justices. She has a game plan. What school she wants to go to. How she's going to get there. And you know, with young people, we want to encourage that. We want to encourage young people to keep dreaming. You know, we want to, we admire the fact that young people have great dreams. Joseph is like that. He has big dreams for himself. He's dreaming all the time of great things. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, a lot of older people can learn from young people and the dreams that they have. 
I was talking to a middle-aged man um, a few weeks ago, and he's very busy with his career. He's very busy. He has young kids just like myself. And I was asking him about the start to the year. You know, I was like, how's this year looking? Do you have any goals? Do you have any plans? And he looked at me with kind of a deadness in his eyes, and he's just like, man, I'm just day to day. He's like, I'm just trying to make it through today. That's my, that's his dream. I just want to get through the day. And I think, you know, maybe when he was younger, he had all these great dreams. Maybe when you were younger, if you're older, you had great dreams. You want to go places. You want to go on missions. Uh, you want to start your own company. You want to get involved in a nonprofit and volunteer. Maybe when you were younger, you had all these great dreams. But maybe now you find yourself and you're not dreaming anymore. Your dreams are like, I just want to get through the day. I just want to get to the weekend every week. And I think there is a sense in which all of us, especially when we're older, can learn from Joseph's young dreams. It's easy when you get older to get cynical and jaded. Like nothing's going to ever change. I'm not going to change. Everything's just so similar. And we stop dreaming. We stop hoping. We stop believing you know, if God is real, and if you read the stories of God, if the Holy Spirit is powerful, if you read through the Bible, God always uses, loves to use the most unexpected, least qualified people to do great things. That's the story of the Bible. God loves to use the least and the most unlikely. And if that's true, if God is great, if his spirit is powerful, if God loves to use the weak, why can't God do a great work in your life? One of the great stories that God loves to tell is how he uses people in their old age. He loves to use women who are past the point of bearing children to surprise them. And one of the ideas that we have to start thinking about in our lives is maybe we need to start dreaming again. Maybe we need to upgrade our dreams. Maybe we need to dream God-sized dreams. I love the term God-sized dream. A God-sized dream is a dream that is so big, only God can accomplish it. It's a dream that's so great, so big, nothing we can do can accomplish it, but we need to rely on God for that. Are you dreaming God-sized dreams in your life? Or have you stopped dreaming? Are you just, are you thinking cynically about your life? Are you relying upon God? Maybe you can upgrade your dreams this morning. Maybe you can ask God, God, would you help me dream a new dream this year in my life? Joseph's early years, his early dream teaches us to use our imagination to fill us with hope, to believe God can do great things in our lives. But here's the second point. The second point is more of a cautionary point. There is a danger to youthful dreams as well. There's a greatness to it, but there's also a great danger to youthful dreams. When you think about Joseph's dreams, uh, there are some disturbing things about it. And not the content of it, but how Joseph approaches his dreams. Number one, there's no mention of God in Joseph's dreams. That's an interesting idea. Uh, Most dreams, one of the keys to dreams in the Bible is that they come from God. They're ultimately about God. But in this dream... The way that it's interpreted, there's no mention of God. It's about Joseph. It's about his greatness. Uh, In dreams, there usually is a divine message. 
And later on, we see that Joseph is an interpreter of dreams. But this dream that Joseph has doesn't really have a message that is interpreted. So we're left to wonder really early in this passage whether this dream was from God at all or was this dream the product of Joseph's self-inflated ego? Was this God's dream or was this Joseph's dream? And right at the beginning, it's an open question. We're not really sure about it. Even if this dream comes from God, we know that the attitude of Joseph to the dream is wrong. We know it's wrong because even at the end, uh, what Joseph is doing, he's throwing this dream in the face of other people. Even if he had this dream, he doesn't have to tell his brothers about it. And when they get upset the first time, he tells them again another dream, which is even more epic, grandiose. Joseph, he's throwing his dreams in the face of other people. He's saying, man, isn't this great what's going to happen to me? And he's telling that to all of his brothers who are oh, already jealous about all the privileges that he has. Uh, Jacob rebukes, it says he rebukes Joseph for his attitude toward these dreams. Joseph is being very arrogant about this dream. He's not sensitive to other people about his dreams. And Joseph's attitude cautions us against pride. Sometimes when we're so caught up in our own dreams, in our own desires, we're not sensitive to the fact God has given other people dreams too. You know, we're not sensitive to ways that God is working in other people's lives. It's not just all about me and my dreams and what I'm going to do. But I need to be sensitive to the fact that other people have dreams as well. I need to support them. I need to bless them as well. I need to hear them, their dreams. Ultimately, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who have a sense of calling in their lives. Maybe you feel like, you know, God called me to be a great writer. God called me to Hollywood. God called me to be a lawyer. God called me to be a missionary, to preach the gospel in these distant lands. And that's a great thing to have a great sense of calling in your life. But we're always to be cautious about the idea of calling and even our own dreams. We're to be cautious about it because we are never, we can never really be fully sure of those dreams. Look with me in James. James gives us this idea of caution when it comes to our own plans and our dreams. In James 4, verse 13 to 16, this is what James says. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you have to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James says that we are to be humble in our plans. Uh, we, we can make all kinds of plans for this coming year. That we're going to do this or that. We're going to start this or that. But James says that so many times we have plans and they come to nothing. We have plans and they're broken because of an emergency. Unforeseen. Uh, circumstances arise and we're never able to fully do it so james says be humble you never know what's going to happen you never know if god's going to change your plans or not so say you don't have to literally say this some people say this but figuratively say this we have to say if the lord wills this you know i have this vision this dream for myself but it's only if the lord wills it and he could change it he can, he can redirect me. I'm going to lean upon God. 
for all of these plans. Uh, what is the right approach to dreams? We're, at the very beginning, we say it's, it's good to have big dreams, but we are to caution ourselves never to put so much trust in any one particular dream. So what's the right approach? And I would suggest the, the approach to take is the approach of Jacob. You know, right at the end of it, when Joseph rebukes, Jacob rebukes Joseph, this is what he says in verse 10. It says, when he told to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brother come bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his, the father kept the saying in mind. Jacob, on the one hand, is not happy with Joseph. He rebukes him. He says, you're arrogant about it. But at the very end, the last line of this section is, Jacob kept the saying in mind. And that's the right balance, is to keep something in mind. It does, it's not going to overwhelm you. You're not always thinking about it, but it's in the back of your mind. You're going to give it some mind. You're going to give it some thought. You're going to think about it. Jacob is a great person to think about how you treat dreams because Jacob's life was guided by a dream himself. Again, if you've been reading through Genesis, you know that Jacob's life was very similar to Joseph. Jacob was a favorite child of his mother. And Jacob really angered his older brother as well. Uh, he, tr- he tricked him, Jacob tricks his brother Esau out of his inheritance. And because of that, he was driven away, just like Joseph will eventually as well. But while Joseph, Jacob is on the run, he has a dream. It's an epic dream. It says there's a ladder that reaches up to the heavens that comes down to earth and angels are going up and down this, this ladder. And in the midst of the dream, God gives Jacob promises. He says, I'm going to be with you, Jacob. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to bless you and I'll eventually bring you back home. Jacob is going to experience all kinds of drama throughout his life, ups and downs. But that promise, that vision, that dreamed always kept him going. God has a plan for me. God is with me. God's going to bring me back home one day. Jacob was someone who was led by a dream that God gave him. And he kept it in his mind. And as he thinks about his own son, Joseph, Joseph's dream, he keeps that in mind. Keeping a dream in your mind means it's not gonna, it's not, you're not gonna spend every waking moment thinking about it. You're not gonna obsess over it. But you're gonna keep that in mind when you need to make a decision. You're gonna keep that idea, that vision alive. A dream needs to be protected. It needs to be nurtured. It doesn't need to overwhelm you. It doesn't need to be something that you're constantly fixated upon. But protect it. Think about it. Let it drive you forward in your life. And Jacob's perspective on dreams is the wise perspective. But here's the final point. You know, Jacob, uh, his vision for Joseph and Joseph's dream, in some sense, eventually come to fruition. This is the last point. Dreaming God's dream. When you think about the end of the story, I'm going to skip ahead briefly before we get there. Uh, Joseph actually at the end of Genesis, in one sense, that dream actually comes true. Uh, right at the end of Genesis, his brothers come to Egypt. Joseph has risen to the place of second in command. And his brothers do literally bow down to him. 
And so if you're reading a text, you might say, well, you know, doesn't the dream actually come true? Isn't Joseph right about the dream? Isn't this dream about him? And the answer really is no. The dream literally does come true, but it's not the way Joseph thought of it. What do you mean by that? Well, Joseph, he, uh, we're going to look at this next section next week. He gets sold by his brother into slavery. Uh, it doesn't really even end there. He spends decades in prison. And only through God humbling him through that prison experience does, that, does Joseph arise. Does he climb to power? But when Joseph finally gets there, climbs to power, and his brother comes to see him, Joseph realizes something. He realizes as he climbs to power that it's not about him. Joseph realized, especially through the prison days, that the reason for God exalting him to power, it wasn't about him. That God had put him in the place to save a nation. And that Joseph was in power, not for himself, but he was a representative of God himself. And his power was a power to serve and bless other people. Joseph was right about the dream. It did come true. But he was wrong about the interpretation of the dream. It wasn't about him getting glory. It's about God gaining glory. And he realized that as he matured. This dream is really a dream of the kingdom. It's really about the greatness and the glory of God. And I'm just a representative of God in that great program. Often the dreams of our youth are very self-centered it's really about us. We're at the center of the drama. We're at the center of the dreams. But as we mature, what God is trying to do is he's trying to ask us to reshape our dreams so that we have God-centered dreams, uh, so that we could dream God's dream, not about us. It's about him. And that's a process in which God is at work in our lives. Can we allow God to reshape our dreams? Can God mature our dreams so that he's at the center of it? I have a friend whose child, uh, he has one child, one son. He, his child was recently diagnosed with autism. You know, and it, he says it was a devastating diagnosis. He said before this diagnosis, he said he had all these great dreams for his son. Dreams of greatness, dreams of doing all these things with him. And he said when he heard this diagnosis, it devastated him in a way that he didn't really expect. And through the grieving process, though, he started to realize something. He's like, I don't know why I'm so sad and upset about this. And he started really praying about it and thinking about this. And he realized something. He realized that his grieving was not really about his son. It was about him. And that what he was grieving was the loss of his own dreams for his sons. Not his son's dreams. Those weren't in jeopardy, but his dreams for his sons were collapsing. And he began to realize, man, these are very selfish dreams I had. It's not about me. Uh, these dreams were about me, not about my son. And he started giving that up to God. It's like, God, I give up my dreams for my son. Would you, would I embrace your dreams for my son? Would I really start listening to his own dreams that God has given him? And would I now be a support to that. It's not about my dreams. It's about your dreams. It's about listening to my son and maybe his dreams. And may I be on board with you reshaping my life, my dreams. That's a powerful thing. 
Are you letting God reshape your own dreams? God, may you, may I decrease, may you increase. Uh, the vision of a new dream essentially can be seen in the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. You know what we're going to see all throughout this series is that Joseph's life was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Joseph, the dream of the kingdom, is an amazing dream. Joseph, he would be destined for great things, but not how you would expect. We talked about that. Joseph would have to go through betrayal of his brothers, slavery, near death. And only through that would he arise to power, but his power would be to serve and bless. And that's a picture of the life of Jesus. Jesus has come into this world as a king, destined for greatness, but not as you would expect. He would be betrayed by his closest friends, by his brothers. He would be beaten, broken. He would die. And all that for us. He would eventually resurrect into glory. And when you look at the end of the story uh, uh, of Jesus, it's really the dream come true. When you look at Joseph's dream, one of the interesting things about Joseph's dream is that there's no way this dream can be about a human person because it's about the heavens and earth worshiping this human person. It can't be about a human person. What is this dream ultimately about that Joseph has? It's ultimately a story about Christ. You know, Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11, this is what that text says. Philippians 2, it talks about the life of Jesus. He has come to serve us, to bless us. But after he dies for us, he resurrects. And in Philippians 2, it says this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when you think about Joseph's dream, it was twofold. It was about glory on earth in the fields and glory in the heavens. The stars, moons, and stars are bowing down to him. And ultimately, Philippians 2 says that's Jesus. You know, when Jesus comes again in glory, it says the heavens and the earth are all going to bow down. The star, moon, skies, every tongue on earth is going to confess, Jesus, you're the king. You're the Lord. You're the Lord of glory. And ultimately, that dream finds its fulfillment in him. And as we close, all of what Jesus has done for us is really the story of God, is that the story of God and the dream of God and the reason Jesus has come is to bring us back home. The dream of God. Think about that. What is God's dream? What is God's dream for your life? And God's dream, God's desire is for you to come back home is you to know him, that God's desire, his dream, what he wants more than anything else, what he gave Jesus for is to be close to you and to draw near to you. And that's God's heart. That's God's dream, that you're at the center of God's dream because God has destined you uh, to know him, to worship him, to be in relationship with him. And as we close, trust him this year, as we begin this year. Uh, God has... God has great things. Would you trust him? Would you start dreaming new dreams? Maybe you're in a place where you don't have dreams. Would you start dreaming new dreams? Maybe in your place where you're disappointed with where your dream your dream's not coming alive. We're going to look at that next week. God can redeem your crushed dreams. Would you trust him for that? Because ultimately, all our dreams 
will come true when Jesus comes again and brings a new heaven and a new earth. Trust him for that. Love him. All our dreams are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this time that we can think about all the things that you've placed in our lives. And God, we pray that you would begin anew in us. Pray for those people in the congregation uh, who are in between times, who are feeling discouraged. Pray that you'd give them a new vision, a new dream, new desires. Pray, God, that you would give us something new. Pray for those people who might be discouraged with where their dreams are headed. Pray that you'd either give us a new dream or, Father, you would give us patience in seeing your dreams come to fruition in our life. Give us wisdom to know the difference between those two things. Ultimately, God, help us to place our hope in you because it's not about us, it's about you. And help us to fixate and focus on all that you are for us in Christ Jesus. You are our dream fulfilled. So I pray, pray, pray that we would trust and put in your hands everything that's in our heart. That you would be the supreme thing, the great thing. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that your dream involves us. That your desire is to draw us closer to your heart. So I pray that we'd come humbly, hopefully, to you this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.